Welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Kay, and I use pronouns like she and her. And I'm Pastor Emily, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. In this episode, we'll discuss the first Sunday of Christmas, which this year falls on January 2nd. One content notification for this episode. We do talk about accessibility as well as fat phobia when discussing the first reading. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. Our deep dive for this episode is incarnational theology. Ooh, fancy. Mm-hmm. Big fancy words and big important words for Christianity. Yes. Incarnational theology is based on the concept that God becomes human incarnates among us. So it is a particular type of theology that is very much Christian, and it is the divine choosing humanity, choosing a human body as opposed to a spectral experience, as opposed to a different animal, as opposed to plant life, as opposed to the wind. God chooses to hang out with people by becoming a complete person. A whole human. Holy human. The WH. Yes. Holy. Entirely human. Yes. That one. And just as holy as the rest of us, you know, as the H-O-L-Y part. You know. And only the same number of holes as the rest of us. Well, some of us have many different types of piercings. I mean, so I don't know what Jesus had or whether part. that was... A, but like a, at anyway. birth. As holy okay. as most of us at birth. Same number of holes in the body. <laughs> This is reminding me of a very confusing conversation I had in Sunday school about how we shouldn't wear holy clothing to a choir concert at church. And I was <laughs> deeply confused because if it's at church, of course we should wear holy clothing. Like that's, you know, where you wear holy clothing. And I, it went on for days. Here I thought it was going to be a who's on first. Uh, close enough. Yeah. Something like that. Although now that you mention it, with God choosing a human body, I wonder... When God became human, did God get to, like, pick the physical qualities that God wanted to have? Mm. Or did God, like, go through the presumably random Plinko game from Price is Right like the rest of us and just wind up with a randomly selected variety of genes from our parents? <laughs> I feel like in order to be fully human, you have to, like, go for random. You can't pick and, and choose. And put up with the lactose intolerance and the hangnails and the, yeah. 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 Sure. Interesting. God cast God's lot with us. <laughs> Literally, yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yes, so the idea here is that Jesus is truly human, completely human. Also completely divine, but we're not talking about that today. <laughs> Although John's, the Gospel of John is real heavy on that emphasis, which is... Yes, but we're skipping that part mostly. Yeah. So, <laughs> But uh, Jesus is truly human, as in Jesus had hangnails. Uh, Jesus had a body that probably didn't always do exactly what he would have liked. Mm -hmm. Jesus went through the various trials of puberty for your standard teenage boy. Heads up, by the way, if you want to get yourself called a blasphemer by various evangelists in a coffee shop, that conversation is a great way to do it. Ooh, that is a story, it sounds like. I may have been a little egged on by my seminary classmates who were also there at the time. <laughs> Yeah. I, if you're gonna try to evangelize in a coffee shop and you're not very good at it yet, please don't do it in a town where there are two seminaries and a Bible college. That's a terrible thing. <laughs> Especially when it's not actually that big of a town. 
But, you know, Jesus had neighbors who were irritating as all get out, okay? Jesus had chores that he was bad at and didn't like. Mm -hmm. Jesus was human. Jesus was a teenager. Jesus was socially awkward at times uh, and probably didn't always know what to say, even if God was prompting him uh, on occasion. I actually feel like Uh, Jesus was maybe probably more awkward than your average. So when I think about, like, Like, imagine hanging out with Jesus. Right, which we just read last week for Christmas one, like there's no way that an interaction wasn't awkward, both for him and his caregivers, for him and the people in the temple who are like, what the heck? A 12 year old boy. Why is there a 12 year old? Yeah. Where are your parents? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why, why do you keep, you know, outwitting all of the rest of us? And uh, do we feel like we should be in some kind of weird holiday hijinks kind of movie or what's going on here? Super awkward. Yeah. Also, and what I think is even potentially more likely to be labeled blasphemous, is the reality that, in fact, Jesus poops. <laughs> so, I agree that Jesus, when Jesus, oh, Jesus was pooped. human incarnate... Sorry. Yes. Okay. Because, like, I'm not completely discounting the fact that Jesus might be truly human somewhere right now, because we don't actually have a way I to mean, prove that Jesus has not already come back. the body of Christ. Yes, exactly. But, like, if we still have to poop in heaven, I have some thoughts on how I would like my digestive system to change between now and then. (laughs) Whether or not God will actually listen to me is a completely different thing, but, you know, whatever. No, but Jesus pooped, right? When we think about Jesus being human, it's all of the parts of being human. It's not just, oh, he looked human, had eyes and a nose and a mouth he spoke a language it is that he pooped it is that he did the messy gross things there are some really beautiful poems that have come out in the last couple of years about wondering about what it was like for mary to breastfeed jesus right did jesus ever clamp down too hard when jesus was teething did he accidentally bite like all of those things are part of changing jesus's diapers Mm -hmm. and yeah All of those things are part of what it means to be human. It's also that Jesus suffered. Jesus got hurt. Jesus grieved. Jesus wept. All of this, like, we see a lot of it in the Gospels, but even growing up, Jesus experienced growing pains, experienced the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual pains that humans feel, especially in a context of Roman oppression, where He's part of Absolutely. an oppressed and marginalized people. He feels. Although I will throw in there that we don't know a lot about exactly what Jesus experienced as a kid or a teenager. We have this one story of from when he was 12. And there are people who have ideas about this. And one of those things, which you can probably find online, is called the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. And it is a trip and a half. But like... If you find a book that someone calls a gospel and includes stories about Jesus and it's not in the Bible, there are reasons for that. (laughs) Okay? Like, speaking as a trained biblical scholar, which pastors in our tradition are, there are reasons. Wikipedia might be able to tell you what those are. (laughs) If I remember correctly, the Infancy Gospel of Thomas does have a Wikipedia page, and it does explain why that's not in the Bible. Although it does have some really interesting stories, supposedly from Jesus's childhood. You can't see it, but I'm making air quotes right now. (laughs) And you don't have to take those seriously, but they can be fun. Yeah. I would thought you were going to talk about Lamb, the, the Gospel According to Biff, Christ's Childhood Pal by Christopher Moore. 
Which is explicitly I look forward fiction. to that, but I have not actually gotten around to that one yet. I, my reading list is taller than yeah, I am. I love that one. I have not read it in years and have been told that it may not have aged well. Okay. But yeah, that happened. originally I thought it was hilarious. And it's, you know, the gospel according to Biff, Christ's childhood pal. So childhood. And maybe it could use an update. Yeah. Sure. Um, but yeah, as an adult, even though at once Jesus grew up a bit and after Jesus like was fully aware and actually telling people who Jesus was and why Jesus existed, uh, he, he also had a temper. We see mm -hmm. that in the Bible again and again. He tended to be cryptic and intentionally obfuscate things when he was talking to people who frustrated him. <laughs> he, he wept. He was moved with compassion. Yeah. He felt Absolutely. pain. Yes. Uh, he had a complete and full experience of life. And if you don't think that he did, well, that raises a whole number of other questions. Mm -hmm. Right. Part of why Christians engage in the world the way that we do when we do it well is because, <laughs> is because God chooses to be with humanity. Jesus says in Matthew, right, when you fed the hungry... When you gave something to drink to those who were thirsty, you did this for me. When you didn't do that, yes. you didn't do it for me. That's also a part of the incarnation is, and that gets to the second half of incarnational theology, of why does it matter that God chooses yes. to become human, to limit God's self, and to become human with humanity? Yeah, and if you want a more extensive exploration of the whole Jesus as truly human, Jesus as fully divine thing, there are a bunch of essays and books out there written about something called the Athanasian Creed, which has parts of it that are terrifying, <laughs> but also has uh, possibly the single best longest standing explanation for how the whole fully human, fully divine thing functionally works, yeah. and the parts that are important for that, but it it takes some work to unpack all that and we don't have the emotional bandwidth to do that today. Sorry folks. Yeah. Like we're, we're talking about Jesus incarnate. I don't have the bandwidth to also unpack the entire Athanasian creed, right. uh, but that is a place that you can go to for more information. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, Lutherans in the ELCA, which Kay and I are both a part of hold like the three creeds that we tend to hold to are the apostles creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed, though I would wager most Lutherans, including probably many pastors, don't yes. know, certainly are not familiar with, but potentially also like just don't know that the Athanasian Creed is part of our confessions of faith. And there are some who every Holy Trinity Sunday, they read the whole Athanasian Creed, because it is poetic and beautiful, but yeah, there are great parts yeah. to it. Uh, and I like to make sure that my confirmation students know that it exists so that if it becomes necessary and I need them to hunker down and actually do some work, they know that memorizing it is an option that I have on my table. <laughs> and that, that is... has occasionally come into play, although not lately, thankfully. That is some strict... <laughs> Like, it's kind of like the Sword of Damocles. Like, I'm not actually expecting it to fall down and crush their tiny little heads. Mm -hmm. But it's nice for them to know that it's there and an option. I'm just saying. Gotcha. <laughs> also, 
this past year on Holy Trinity Sunday, the congregations that I'm with uh, did do the Athanasian Creed. I, with the help of some colleagues, figured out a way for us to read it in a sort of three-part round where I took some lines and then the congregation divided in half and each half took some lines and mm. it worked out so that we could actually pay attention the whole way through, which mm. was really helpful. But also, it's just a lot. <laughs> yeah. I also know a congregation of a congregation that would do it and then... They and there are more accessible ways to do it than this, but they would have you stand up for the parts that you believed in and sit down for the parts that you didn't. And so the only person see that requires even more pain. Yeah, but the only person that like stayed up the whole time was the pastor. But everybody else like was up for some and down for some. And it's a beautiful thing, sure. like particularly in a congregation that allows for that to to really sure. clearly demonstrate that the things we hold true to are not the same among every Christian and the things that matter the most to us are not the same among every Christian. Right. But going back to our original point, mm -hmm. the reason why we point you at the Athanasian Creed is that the Creed explains how if Jesus was not truly and fully both human and divine at the same time, then things get deeply weird in mm -hmm. a few different possible directions, and we're not going to fully explore those today. But f functionally speaking, if Jesus was not truly and fully human, then what was the point of Jesus at all? Like, in the first place. Mm -hmm. If God does not truly understand what it means to be human, to live and have emotions and feel grief and joy and so on, and then if Jesus did not really, actually, completely die, then why bother coming down at all? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the resurrection doesn't matter if the de if there's no death. And if yeah. Jesus can't die, the resurrection doesn't matter. If the resurrection doesn't matter, yeah. then where is the space to banish our fears about death? To say death does not have the final word, to say there are more exactly. there are things that are more important than death. Yeah. Without that, like, yeah, our faith and particularly the risks we are called to because of our faith does not yeah, which is part of why I am entirely on board with not taking all, every single word in the Bible completely and uh, totally literally, uh, particularly the parts that are poetic, mm -hmm. because metaphors and similes are a thing. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I keep sticking to is I can't understand how someone can be a Christian and not believe that the resurrection truly happened and Jesus was truly dead before the resurrection. I don't get how the faith works for people who don't take that one thing like everything else you can play with but that one thing is the part that i get stuck on but i know that those people exist i've met several of them i've had some interesting conversations with several of them i'm just not getting it mm -hmm. so i mean some people think of jesus as a teacher or a rabbi yes which... actually i really like hanging out with those people because a lot of them are better christians than some of the rest of us yep um but yeah it's a it's a weird and complicated yeah. Yeah, the world is a complicated place. One of the things that I particularly love that is an impact of incarnation, that is a result of incarnational theology, is that because God chooses human bodies, it means that our bodies, humans and our bodies, are important to God. So, especially in the Gospel of John, but in a lot of places, mostly as a result of Greek 
philosophy, there is this mind-body dualism that says the mind is good and the body is bad. And that... Oh, goodness. And the incarnation very clearly points that out as a false binary. Yeah, like I realized that functionally this isn't going to be an option, but in terms of options for time travel to the past, going back to ancient Greece and just smacking a bunch of the ancient philosophers around sounds really, really attractive <laughs> to me on the regular. And I, I realize that people who aren't philosophy majors probably won't agree with me on that, but it just sounds like a wonderful way to spend a few days, I'm just saying. It's true. Uh <laughs> So that's a false binary that also has a lot of roots in sexism, or sexism has its roots in oh, that yeah. false binary, where, you know... The women's are so emotional. Men are the rational thinkers, and women are the emotional feelers. And A, that's not true. B, there's a valuing of rationality there that yeah. is unreasonable. And so when... Balance. Yeah, Right? We need emotions Yay. and thoughts. And also the idea that like men are not emotional. The number of men who get angry for no reason. Yes. Like four-year-olds. Anger is an emotion. Yeah. Anger is an emotion. That's part of what this incarnation resists, right? It resists the idea that the mind is better than the body because God chose the whole package. Yeah. I'm going to be entirely honest and say that there are days when I like understand the point of view of wanting everything to be rational because emotions can get really irritating. <laughs> I get very tired of them, but that doesn't mean that they aren't valid. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And I can rationally realize that when I'm not, you know, in the midst of them at the time. Yeah. And part of God choosing human bodies and valuing human bodies is that what is done to our bodies does matter to God. So, for example, yes. capitalism and the enslavement of people does not honor our bodies. It is not God's desire for us that our bodies would be worked to the point where they are falling apart or where they are harmed or broken in the work that we are doing. That's not what God wants for anybody. Right. God wants us to honor our bodies. That's part of Sabbath, right? Sabbath is a day of rest, a day to let your body recuperate. And a lot of people who are very big on honoring God's creation and God's gifts to us don't necessarily realize that honoring each other is a part of honoring creation mm -hmm. and God's gifts to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's also connected to the, right, we are made in God's image, the whole diversity yes. of humanity is made in God's image. So the diversity of bodies is made in God's image. That means that bodies of every size and shape are made in God's image. That means bodies of every disability and ability and temporary disability and temporary ability are made in God's image and are good. And that means yeah. that accessibility matters. It means that making places welcome and valuing people and making space for people and taking up the space that we need all are yeah. part of God's hope and desire for humanity. Yeah. And also you don't have to protect God from the realities of the world, which is, I think a habit I see a lot, especially in the Midwest, but mm -hmm. you don't have to conceal parts of your life from God. You, and 
yes, I'm including the parts you're not proud of, <laughs> or I'm including the parts that you don't go around, you know, talking about in front of the people who you want to admire you, or I'm, I'm also including the parts that, you know, aren't polite to talk about in public under certain rules. You don't have to hide any of that from God. God has, like, been there physically as Jesus, and God gets it, and also... God, you know, is supposedly omniscient and therefore knew anyway, and you're just being silly. <laughs> but but you don't have to hide things from God, and you don't have to protect God from the realities of world, of life, of humanity. God has been there. Yeah. So just calm down and stop giving the rest of us anxiety, please. <laughs> yeah, you can, and this includes, and I want to, you kind of, I think you mentioned it just briefly, but I want to make sure people know, you can be angry at God. And you can tell oh, yes. God that you're angry at them. That makes sense. Yes. There's a lot to be angry with these days. So Yeah, absolutely. That's part of it. To be honest, I find myself less angry at God and more like, you know, commiserating with man, the the things you start don't necessarily work out the way you planned. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, that is a real the things you start don't always turn out as they planned. That's if that isn't human, I don't know what is. I don't know that things didn't turn out the way that God planned, but given the way this pandemic has been going, I hope not. Yeah. So. Also, when we have a God who chooses to be with us in our whole lives, in the good stuff and in the bad stuff, in the suffering and in the pain, that means that we are not alone in any of that. It can be really yeah. lonely to be grieving, to be hurting, to be in pain, to be angry. All of that can be so lonely. And in all of those situations, God is still with us. God is still with you. Yes. God still cares. Yeah, I have done some difficult funerals, and sometimes that is literally the only thing I have to offer people. Mm -hmm. Like, this sucks, but also God isn't afraid of it, and God is still here yeah. with us. One of the things that I told people a lot as a chaplain was in prayers, I would invite God's tears to join their tears and that was yeah. a like god will weep with you all the time yeah or I, I like to point out that this is not something that god is doing to you or to your loved one but god is still with you and with your loved one in this mm -hmm. yeah that takes some delicate like very explicit it is not that god causes the suffering it is that god is right with us and present with us when we suffer absolutely our first reading for this episode is from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 7 through 14. God declares that the people of Israel and Ephraim are God's children, and that God will gather them all together, and that they will have their mourning turned into joy. So one of the themes in this passage is the idea of return. In this, Jeremiah is telling of the return of people from exile that God will bring them back. And this is not like the first or second times that Katniss returns to District 12 after the first Hunger Games or after the second one and in the middle of the war, but more like the final one, after the war, where her return is one that is mixed with the grief of all of the lives that have been lost, of all of the pain and suffering that has happened, and with hope that the system that had been so oppressive finally is not in power anymore. There is a little yeah. bit of hope. And then in verses, in kind of the end of verse 8 and the beginning of verse 9, we read, Among them 
those who are blind and those who are lame, those with child and those in labor together. A great company they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with consolations I will lead them back. I will let them walk by brooks of water, in a clear path in which they shall not stumble. This is an accessibility thing. God doesn't say, I will make the blind see and make the lame and restore the mobility of those who are lame. It is, I will gather them all. They will all come back and they will come back and the path will be made so that they do not stumble, um, so that they can have the water that they need for the journey. And so I was thinking about the TARDIS actually in Doctor Who because (laughs) it makes it so that like linguistically your accessibility needs are met and physically within the TARDIS your accessibility needs are met like it can regulate the oxygen levels there's ramps um with railings to be able to get around and stuff and to a certain extent it can do that even beyond its own bigger on the inside walls if the doctor chooses but that's well or sometimes if the TARDIS Mm -hmm. chooses the doctor is not always fully in control that's true that's usually the fun but, part. So that sometimes, sometimes there is no need for a spacesuit. Sometimes there is. And yes. if there is, it will be provided. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like the TARDIS as an ex- accessibility yes. model. The, the times when I've seen the inside hallways of the TARDIS from one room to the next, they've always seemed very narrow and not necessarily like wheelchair accessible. Mm-hmm. But also, this is the TARDIS. So if the TARDIS wanted the hallways to be wider and more accessible, then they totally mm-hmm. could be because that's what the TARDIS yeah. does. I've seen the hallways so. be wide. The ramps don't always feel wide enough. But I think that if there was someone who needed wider ramps, they would be wider. Yes. Yeah. Right. And that's Absolutely. about responding to accessibility needs. Yeah. yeah. And whether or not the TARDIS happens to like you, which is... <laughs> A whole separate conversation. Yeah, that's like but. not how accessibility needs are supposed to work. And also no. the TARDIS is not perfect. Yeah. In verse 11, we read, For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from the hands too strong for him. Somehow I doubt that God would actually pay an actual ransom to the various countries that had invaded and conquered ancient Israel. <laughs> that doesn't exactly seem like how God works. Well, okay, God totally bribes people. Like, let's acknowledge that happens. But God bribes people that God wants to do stuff for God. Mm. And uh, usually also God, you know, likes them and they are decent people and that kind of thing. But, well, okay, God at least likes them. They don't have to be decent (laughs) people. But but God totally bribes people. But God does not bribe people who are the enemies of God's own people. Mm. That, that is not how God works. And so instead, I am imagining that this kind of thing would go down uh, much more like there's an episode of the original Leverage series called The Zanzibar Marketplace Job. The TV show uh, liked to create names for the different cons that they were referencing because they were also making up cons as they went sometimes because they didn't, you know, have actual connections to the criminal underworld and so they didn't know all of the real <laughs> names so they would just make stuff up and Zanzibar Marketplace was a type of con that they imagined this episode involved turning a ransom demand uh, back around onto the ones who demanded it in the first place and it involved a lot of people switching places in moving elevators Ooh. <laughs> among other things uh, along with a bomb <laughs> yeah God feels like the type who would you know play along for a little while and then who would pull a Zanzibar marketplace job. Yeah, and and switch things around at the last minute. That does seem like mm-hmm. God's sense of humor. And then in verse 14 we read, I will give the priests their fill of fatness, and my people shall be satisfied with my bounty, says God. And it made me think of the Great British Baking Show. 
and like yay the, um, the um, fill um. of the goodness and the rich foods whenever you see rich foods in the bible it's probably also fatty foods would be another translation so those yep. tend to be translated depending on the version and that sort of thing but you could translate them either way so yeah it reminds me of that minus proves like fat phobic comments all the time about like if it's like worth the calories or if like the calories count or whatever that is terrible it is fat phobic if you're on a tv show about baking then no none of the calories count but like (laughs) that is also that's just like a faulty promise Um, like that's not yes exactly we we don't stand for it yeah why are you here for (laughs) yeah yeah i read that exact same verse and uh, that's because emily and i both have great taste obviously puns all included. And I would just like to point out that God does not think that the BMI is real science either. Thank you very much. (laughs) And this verse, and there are plenty of other verses in the Bible that point that out. Health is a lot more complicated than a simple comparison of your height and weight. And if you want proof of that, ask anybody who has ever had to pass tape in the military, which is their application of BMI, uh, which you have to, if you have to be in a certain weight range for your height, and it doesn't matter what's actually healthy for you. Yep. Like they have a wider range than the BMI does, but it's still not great for a lot of people. And it often means that they're not actually as muscular or healthy as they should be. Yeah. But everybody has different builds. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your ideal weight might not be that of someone else who also is your your exact height. The BMI is a good 10 pounds off for me because I am a tall woman and it's not designed for either of those things. (laughs) So... Yeah. yeah, I just, the BMI is a mess of garbage and it should only exist for actuarial tables and it shouldn't be applied to individuals. So. Yeah, it's, it is not only horrible, but it causes prob like it actually is still used by medical people, even though it's been disproven so many times over. Yeah, I like to send complaining letters to my insurance company every year that they start dinging me for not living according to the BMI because, you know, yeah, math. Yeah. And it's a terrible thing. And, like, the things that are actually proven to be bad for people's health is diet culture. So it's like, actually the thing that is bad is the thing that you are promoting by promoting this thing that is a lie. And we also acknowledge that a lot of those people promoting diet culture are making money off of it. So, gee, that's a surprise. I was going to say, it all circles back to capitalism. (laughs) Yep. And... I mean, it circles back to capitalism, but it's back to the incarnation, right? God's incarnation is that all of our bodies are good. Larger bodies, smaller bodies, thinner bodies, fatter bodies, all of them are good. You have probably heard the line that Jesus has AIDS, or Jesus is gay, or Jesus is black, or and so on. All of those things. Jesus is on the side of any people who are marginalized. And you know what that means? That means that Jesus is fat. Yep. Yeah. And I want more imagery of fat Jesus. That's actually, that I, think I don't know that I've ever... I've, Jesus is yeah. always perfect. Like, I get that Jesus walked around skinny. a lot, but... Like, I've known a lot of people who do a lot of walking, and some of them are quite on the husky side. Also, like, feeding 5,000 people? Like, there's plenty of bread and loaves, fishes and loaves that Jesus can make happen for himself. It's not like he's lacking in food. Yeah, and Jesus was a carpenter, and Jesus had to do all that running around, and he had to have muscles to do all of that, and he wasn't necessarily wiry. Like, wiry people are cool, but that doesn't mean he was. Yeah. More fat Jesus people. Yeah, Let's go. if any of you have images or drawings or artwork, send it to us. I think the only time I've seen it is yes, like please. if it's that would baby be awesome. Jesus. 
Yes, baby Jesus. Like, well, I mean, babies. all baby pictures yeah. should be, but yeah. Yeah, so send us pictures. If you have them, we would like them. Yes, that would be cool. Now I'm wondering if there are pictures of fat Jesus and fat Buddha hanging out together. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, there are some people who say that Jesus is a Buddha, so. Yeah, I've heard that one yeah. too. Also, for the record, if you are in the Jesus is a Buddha thing, make sure that like you're not just culturally appropriating buddhism for your purposes yeah no especially if you're white white people have a history of Mm -hmm. yeah don't our second reading for this episode is ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14 god has adopted us as god's children and redeemed us through christ as was planned before the foundation of the world i really like that i know i do too so one of the themes for this passage is revealing the idea of revealing, particularly revealing of a mystery. And so I was thinking about The Expanse, because I've been watching the new season. In The Expanse, the proto-molecule and everything that, like, the truth about it and all of that stuff is slowly revealed, piece by piece. There is this, like, peeling away or revealing of this mysterious thing that nobody understands. Like God reveals God's mysteries. God is not the proto-molecule, but now I'm thinking about it that way. But God created the proto-molecule. Presumably. Presumably. And then in verse 5, we read, God destined us for adoption as their children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of God's will. And this is like, I think we do this almost every time adoption comes up. But disclaimer, adoption, not always a good thing. There are plenty of people who are adopted who are not happy about it. There's a lack of choice for most people who are adopted, and so that's a little bit different than the way that adoption is used in Ephesians, precisely because we do have choice about how we engage with God. Yeah. So this is maybe more like the Daddy Warbucks-style adoption, not in the, like, we'll try her out for a little while and see if we want to keep her, but in the... Right. Someone who you're excited about and who can actually provide the love and care that you need. Daddy Warbuck style, as in the show, movie, story of Annie, for clarity. Speaking of adoption, I would like to take a moment to welcome our uh, podcast mascot, Maggie, (laughs) who was adopted several years ago now, but seems to be happy enough about it, as far as I can tell. The the next verse that I read was verse 8, and I'm going to say quote and unquote for this verse because it's a little weird. Quote, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and insight. Unquote. Verse 8 is just kind of an oddball verse. This verse is the end of one sentence and the beginning of the next. And on its own, it doesn't mean a heck of a lot. Like, it, it's the end of one thought and the beginning of the next thought. And it's I kind mean, of weird. Although, the punctuation is up for debate. Because there's not really solid punctuation in it's the bible. the bible so punctuation is always up for debate yes absolutely uh, and especially in greek because the greek really like the hebrew uh, language uh, in ancient times did not use a lot of punctuation mm-hmm. the greeks were i think even yeah. less of a fan, and the verse and numbers got added later on so who knows what they were thinking when they added that yeah So if you want, you can totally choose to take this verse as a reflection on God's nature as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Or you can consider that maybe the breaking up of the individual verses in the Bible was done by humans at a time long after the Bible was originally written and for the most part done in other languages than the original languages that they were written Mm -hmm. in. 
uh, that the books of the Bible were written in, and that the verse numbers and choices are therefore fallible and flawed and sometimes just plain weird. Or, if you want, you can do both at the same time, because, again, the world is a complicated place. <laughs> yes, and we can hold complexities together. Yes. Amazing. And then in verse 13, we read... In Christ you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in Christ, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. And in my expanse journey, the thing that came to mind was the ways that the OPA, the Outer Planets Alliance, mm-hmm. were marked with the tattoos or the scars from the poor sealing of space suits. So the belters, as they're called, the folks who live in like the asteroid belt and stuff had been the ones who were looked down upon. They're the like, and we talked about this, I think on Christmas Eve, they were like the essential workers that didn't necessarily work in like the the hospital. Right. Like the shepherds, the meat packers, the farm workers, those sorts of things. And so they didn't get the best quality of things. They weren't treated very well, and so the spacesuits, the original spacesuits, actually, like, didn't seal properly, so a lot of the older members of the OPA and belters have scars along their neck where it didn't seal properly, and so then it became tradition for the OPA to tattoo marks along the neck and in other places to symbolize and to remember those origins. Yeah. Yes, again, Emily and I have been doing this for a while, and therefore I read the exact same verse (laughs) and was inspired as well. Because this whole marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit thing is a part of the baptismal service uh, in the ELCA and most Lutheran traditions. Uh, And for those of us who have watched the original Stargate SG-1 TV series, uh, you can imagine the seal of the Spirit is a bit like the giant gold symbol on Teal'c's forehead. Except that ours is invisible, and also from God rather than from various murderous supernaturally powered dictators who call themselves demigods <laughs> like in the Stargate TV series. So, mm-hmm. on the whole, a much better deal. <laughs> Although I am also reminded now that I have a cat in my lap. And is making noises. The other thing that that reminds me of is the old tradition of since we are in the christmas season i feel like this is an appropriate time for this the cat who joined jesus in the manger and kept baby jesus warm Mm. and there's an old story uh, in a number of catholic traditions uh, that mary blessed the cat who slept with baby jesus and kept him warm and that's why a number of cats who have any kinds of stripes at all you will be able to see an m on their forehead Mm. the interesting twist to that is i also have a friend who grew up with a cat who was unusually evil and had a w on her forehead instead (laughs) but that's not actually you know how that's usually supposed to go yeah (laughs) also it's a legend folks Mm -hmm. there have been a lot of cats in nativity sets this year yes absolutely and more nativity should have cats. Like, if the nativity play in Love Actually can have, you know, lobsters and uh, various other Octopi types of things. Octopi and then, yes, Spider-Man kings. Sure. Uh, then I think cats are a completely reasonable addition. Uh, they, you know, actually existed in ancient Israel, mm-hmm. among other things. And our gospel reading for today is from John chapter 1, verses 10 through 18, and possibly also including verses 1 through 9. 
the poetic prologue of the gospel of john which begins by considering jesus's divinity continues to reflect on jesus's gifts to us despite our ignorance and disinterest so one of the themes for this passage is the idea of poetry the beginning of john this prologue is very poetic and there is this power and way that poetry conveys truth sometimes better than prose and so i was just thinking about that particularly like thinking about the poetry books that i'm reading right now which is sister's entrance and life on mars and both of them from different perspectives but both have this way of like naming experiences um, and naming truth and reality that's very different and i think today slam poetry does this especially well that the ways that slam poets can get at the truth just always impressive to me yeah and then in verse three we read all things came into being through the word and without the word not one thing came into being that has come into being which is which just feels so cosmic to me right we're talking about the creation of earth we're talking about the creation of creation and it is part of why i love the hubble advent calendar which they do one every year and it is a you know december 1st through 25th kind of advent calendar Math is hard. Yeah. In the Atlantic, they have the whole article, and then each day they reveal one more of the pictures. And I always, like, download them and make them my screensaver (laughs) my computer. But it also, one of the things that is beautiful about this is that dark and light have to go together for these to make sense. So there are ways that we can use John 1 to be problematic and make light good and dark bad and then apply that to humans. The reality is that in all of these things, there is light and there is dark. Like the stars are so spread apart that there is deep darkness between them. And that is, in fact, what holds them together, which is pretty cool. Yes. Yay, dark matter and dark energy. And then in verse 9, we read, The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And in my Advent movie calendar watching with Horror Nerds at Church co-host Pace Warfield May, we watched the theme the other day was snow. And so we watched the snowman and then also Smallfoot. And in Smallfoot, the main character's dad is the gong ringer. So now I have like the true light is the, they believe the sun is a snail. And so there's like this snail gong. So the dad has to like ring the gong to wake the snail for the snail to come up. And it's obviously a lie because it's actually the sun. But then it made me wonder if, like, this makes John the gong? If Jesus is the light, (laughs) the snail light, then is John the gong? Or the gong ringer? I don't know. I'm open to ideas. Also, I feel like there are song lyrics there that I am just not connecting (laughs) to. Here comes the snail. Uh, I I meant song lyrics that include the word uh, gong. Uh, but I'm not. I'm not. There's probably a lot of those, so I don't know. Although, yes, I'm sure there are lots of wonderful songs about snails, and I'm not against those. <laughs> and then in verse 11, we read, Jesus came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. Which makes me think of Robin of Loxley, yeah. also known as Robin Hood, who returned home to find that his peers did not accept him, but because he advocated and acted for them, the peasants of his land did truly come to accept Mm. him as one of them. 
Uh, although how exactly that story goes down differs depending on which adaptation you're reading and or watching. The cartoon one with Many the of fox. which are... <laughs> yes, I like that one too. Um, I'm also a fan of Robin Hood, Ben and Tights. Mm. And there are individual bits of the Kevin Costner one, uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, that I really like, also known as every single scene with Alan Rickman in it. I mean, because, because Alan, Alan Rickman, Rickman is, is awesome. a treasure. Yeah. yeah. So really, I think the question for this is, who are your people? Like, mm. Jesus was not received by his people, but Jesus also was received by his people. Yeah. But those people weren't necessarily the ones that you'd expect. Ooh, I like that. It also opens up to, like, the chosen... It opens up to, like, what does it look like chosen to have family. class solidarity, particularly with Robin Hood, but also yeah. chosen family. Yeah. The ones we choose are yeah. our people. Absolutely. Uh, and then in verse 18, we read, No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made God known. Uh, and there is a part of my brain that every time I hear this verse, every single year, I always think of God as the wizard behind the curtain from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Which is probably not what this verse is meant to invoke. Probably also, like, to be fair, not what the person who wrote Wizard of Oz meant to, uh, you know, inspire me to be provoked by whatever. Mm -hmm. But no one ever saw the wizard for such a long time while he was in Oz. And he was certainly known for some quality of known, but we don't really get to know the real him until he came out from behind the curtain, which I suppose is not all that different from becoming incarnate mm, either. That's true. It is. So did we truly know God until God became yeah, Jesus? It is a deeper and new way of knowing. Or came as Jesus, I suppose, is the correct way to phrase that, because God was always Jesus. Yeah. But Jesus always was. <laughs> Indeed. Ah, incarnational yep. wonderings, wanderings, and queries. Yep. Thanks for joining us. Catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for Epiphany with our special guest, church consultant Jessica Davis. This podcast has been produced by us, Emily Ewing and Kay Roloff. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Nerds at Church, or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you want access to our uncut guest episodes and interviews, live Q&As, and more, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdsatchurch. As the ancient Christians said, Pax Vobiscum. <laughs>